Good evening. Good to see you tonight. I promised Pastor that uh, we would not make this a Southern Baptist revival. Tonight, anyway. Never know what will happen next time. Our text tonight will be Revelation chapter 13. And while you guys are turning there, I will open in prayer. And Father, we do just want to thank you, Father, for the privilege of being here, meeting here, Lord. And I pray tonight, Lord God, that you would just uh, sharpen us, Lord, and encourage us, Father, as we've been going through this amazing book, Lord, um, that no matter what happens in life, what, whatever is happening in the world around us, whatever we're going through, that no matter what, we keep our eyes on you and that we are lifted up by the excitement of knowing that your return for us is near. In fact, so near that I pray tonight as I share some of the things that I've researched that it would just excite us even more, Lord. Events that are unfolding, things that are happening, technologies that are available. As we look at these things tonight, Father, I pray that, Lord, we just leave this, this building very encouraged, Lord, and excited because, Lord, uh, you are um, what we're looking for. You're what we are waiting for. And so until then, Lord, let us be about your business. And as we get into the word tonight, we just pray that you'd bless it and Holy Spirit move mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I'm excited about tonight. There's a lot of things we want to cover. Um, I've printed out articles that I will reference tonight to sort of uh, accentuate and coincide with some of the texts that we'll be looking at tonight. Now, chapter 13, remember when we talked uh, about chapter 12 and went through chapter 12, I introduced to you that we'd be covering uh, a, an evil diabolic trinity. And chapter 12 introduced us to the dragon, if you remember that. The dragon being, of course, Satan, the evil counterpart to God the Father. Chapter 13, we will be covering the rest of that evil, diabolic trinity, and that would be none other than the Antichrist, which is the evil counterpart to Christ, and the false prophet, which is the evil counterpart to the Holy Spirit. So chapter 13 introduces us to those two characters. And so uh, as we've been going through this book, we'd, like Pastor said, we've been going through this book here with the fellowship in uh, blazing speeds, it feels like. Uh, it took us a long time, as Craig pointed out, I think we did get to chapter 16, that's correct. Um, I lose track. But um, we've been going through this book, and we've been flying. We're going to cover a lot of ground tonight. We'll also cover a lot of ground this month. Uh, we have a lot of Thursdays this month, so it's one of those months. So we'll have fun with it. But <coughs> chapter 13, we'll get into, we talked about in chapter 12, like I said before, the dragon. And we went all into detail about who he is and what he's about. Now, the Antichrist, we'll get into chapter 13 verse 1 this is john speaking remember john is speaking to the church the seven churches specifically 
right? And he's encouraging them because they are being persecuted. Uh, war has been declared on Christianity, uh, the believers, and it's the Roman Empire that is going after them and persecuting them. Because remember, uh, Caesar was one that wanted to be worshipped as well, if you remember. And every year, they, the people would have to go, and they would have to go before a priest, and they'd have to say, uh, you know, Caesar is Lord. Long live Caesar. And for most of them, it was just, you know, a check in the box. It, it didn't really mean anything. But the problem is that Caesar began to believe all this, that, and then it went to his head. And next thing you know, wow, I am deity. And the Christians did not partake in that. And if they did not partake in that, guess what the Roman Empire wanted to do? Uh, they wanted to go after them and kill them and end it. And so um, that is what was happening. So these people were being tremendously persecuted. And so John is writing this letter, this vision that he's been given. He's writing it to the people as a pastor and encouraging them. And this would even go through all of the ages and all of time to encourage you and I even today in the crazy world that we're living in. And so we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. So here's John, verse 1 of chapter 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Standing by on the sand next to the sea, John looks out, and as he does, this beast, this nasty, gnarly, crazy, evil beast is rising up out of the sea. Now, in Bible typology, especially when it relates to prophetic things like we're reading tonight, the sea is in reference to the Gentile nations. Anytime you see the sea, it's in reference to the Gentile nations. If you see land or the land, that means Israel. So that's just something that you want to keep in the back of your mind when you see text like this. Coming out of the sea, Gentile nations, this beast, and we get a graphic picture of basically God's perspective of this beast. Seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns, ten crowns. And then, of course, on his heads, blasphemous name. We talked a little bit about this last chapter, but seven heads, meaning uh, a geographic location of where the Antichrist will set up his kingdom. And that is referencing the city of seven hills, which would be Rome. Throughout many, many centuries, through different times, there have been men that have had an appetite or a desire to reestablish the Roman Empire. There's just something indwelling over there that just they want to reestablish and have that firm power that the Roman Empire once had on the world. They were brutal. They crushed anyone that came into a resistance. They were very strong. Of course, we know what happened to the Roman Empire. It fell from within. But that was years later. When it was in its glory, oh, it was powerful. No one could come against them. 
And there's been this insatiable appetite for some leaders and men in power throughout the centuries to reestablish and fire that Roman Empire back up. But they haven't been able to do it. But one will come on the scene that will, the Antichrist. And he will rule from the city of seven hills. We're told that. And it goes into further detail in Revelation chapter 17. And we're not there yet, but we will get there. And when we do, it'll be fun. But be that as it may, the city of seven hills, that's the geographic location. Now we see here ten crowns. Remember we talked about, or excuse me, ten horns. The ten horns are, horns are always representative of kings. There will be a ten-nation confederacy. Ten nations will come together, and they will rule together. And that's what it's talking about there when we're talking about the horn. And then, of course, ten crowns, meaning, um, again, kings, power, nations coming together. But we see ten crowns, ten horns, and ten crowns, but only on seven heads. Why is that? Well, let's turn back, if you would. Turn back to 2 Thessalonians. Well, actually, you know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. First of all, I want to take you to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. We are talking about the Antichrist. But John wrote that there would be many Antichrists. And that's what he says here. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that is the last hour. Many Antichrists will come. In other words, this. Antichrist means in place of Christ. In place of Christ. So anyone or anything that takes the place of Christ, John says, hey, that's Antichrist. And we've seen that throughout history. We even see that today. Um, many things are taking the place of Christ. Those are Antichrists, plural. But there's one that is coming that will be the Antichrist. There's one that is perhaps even alive today, and perhaps even beyond that, perhaps even in power somewhere today. So think about that. Or definitely on the rise. He's moving. So the anticipation or the thought there is that he could even be in power somewhere today or moving up the ladder. And that's how close that it actually could be for his appearing, which means for him to appear what? We're out of here. He's not going to come on the scene until we're gone. The Bible clearly teaches us that. The church will be raptured. But be that as it may, get back to, let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look uh, at verses 1 through 9. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Now watch this. Let no one deceive you by any means. Have we been deceived 
lately? Is there deception going on? Have we been lied to? You know, it's interesting because in the day in which we're living, we are bombarded by deception and lies. And it's interesting because that's how the enemy works. It seems like if it's just one lie or one woke theory, we would attack it, wouldn't we? Those with common sense and those with some sort of, you know, sense of urgency, we would attack that immediately. But it's not just one. It's almost like we're surrounded 360 degrees by deceptions, by lies, and by all of these things hitting all at once. And it's like, it's almost like it's done on purpose because it gets us off balance. We're like, we don't know which one to go after first and which one to believe, which one to not. We have to, and it's almost like we're being bombarded all at once and all different directions with deception. I really believe it's the work of the enemy, and I know you agree. Let no one deceive you. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That day will come, someday, the temple will be built Again, on the Temple Mount, we've covered that a couple chapters ago. The Jews will have an opportunity to rebuild their temple. And uh, a peace treaty will be made with Israel and the Arab nations. And they will be able to rebuild their temple. temple. It's ready to go. They have everything they need. It will go up almost overnight. And then three and a half years into a seven-year peace treaty, the Antichrist will go in and he will desecrate that temple by literally demanding to be worshipped. And that's what we're talking about here. He will exalt himself in the place of God, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's an interesting verse. Only he restrains and only he will. He will come about when he is taken out of the way. Who's the he there? That's the Holy Spirit. There is a restraining force right now keeping Satan from doing what he really wants to do. There's a restraining force right now keeping the Antichrist from coming into, uh, into sight and into power. And that restraining force is the Holy Spirit. But one day, Jesus is going to come back for his bride. That's you and me. He's going to come back for the church someday very soon, I believe. And when we're taken out, the Holy Spirit is taken too. And guess what? That restraining force will be lifted. And he will be able to do what he wants. Satan's plans will then start going into motion. Verse 8. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth 
and destroy with the brightness of his coming. In chapter 19 of Revelation, we're going to see this in more detail. The Antichrist, he will rule and reign and he will wreak havoc. The second three and a half years of that seven-year peace treaty, he's going to wreak havoc like no one ever has. And he'll have unbelievable power, as we'll talk about later. But what does it say there? Whom the Lord will consume with his breath. That's it. He's like not even a thought. Jesus comes back and we're with him and he's like, you're good, you're done. Just like that. So awesome. And we get to be part of that. We're coming back with him. Amen. Isn't that awesome? In verse 9, and the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. That's right. Lies, deception, it's all part of the game. It's all part of it. Now back to our text, Revelation 13. Verse 2, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. This might remind you of a passage when we're talking about the leopard and the bear. Uh, and it might remind you of Daniel chapter 7. Remember back in Daniel chapter 7 where Daniel sees the empires throughout history. And it goes all the way back to the image. Remember the image that the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and, and Daniel interpreted that dream? And it was a statue and the head was gold. And that head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Babylon. And then it went into the, the next empire that would rule and reign, which would be the Medes and the Persians. Those were the shoulders, and that was represented by silver. And then it went into the next empire that would rule and reign, which would be Alexander the Great, Greece, which was the belly of brass. And remember how we talked about before how those kingdoms descended in value. The metals descended in value. So you have gold, and then a little bit less valuable, which would be less powerful, but still nonetheless took over silver. And then again, a little bit less valuable, uh, bronze. And that's the descending uh, view that we saw there. But chapter 7, in fact, we'll go back there. Go back with me to Daniel Daniel chapter 7, and let's read about this. Now, we had mentioned there, I don't want to get too far ahead. I got a lot to say tonight, so guys, I'm sorry if I kind of bounce around, but we want to make sure we get every bit of this. Okay. You guys are in Daniel, but I'm just going back to read. Remember, it's the feet. Uh, saw like a leopard, feet were like that of a bear, and his mouth like a lion. The leopard would have represented the uh, kingdom of or the empire of Greece, Alexander the Great, meaning that he was very effective in moving his forces quickly and literally pouncing on his enemy. 
and so he was likened to a leopard. The bear would be more like the Medes and the Persians, and of course, the lion represents Babylon. And just a side note, it's interesting how that order is listed. I don't know if you guys caught that. We talked about it with the men. Uh, The leopard is listed first, then the bear, then the lion. So in other words, the Greek empire, the bear, Medes and Persian, and then the lions representing Babylon. But remember, when Daniel gave the interpretation of the image, it was Babylon, Medes and Persians, and Greeks. Why is it in reverse order in our text today? Because when Daniel was giving the interpretation, he was looking to the future of how it would succeed. John is looking back, and that's how he sees it from telling a historical account. So just an interesting side note there that I like. Now, now watch this. Daniel chapter 7. We'll start there in verse 23. Then he said, the fourth beast, ooh, one we haven't seen yet, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings, who shall rise from this kingdom. And another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. The saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. So it would be Babylon, Medes and Persians, the Greeks, okay? But then the Roman Empire, they were the ones that were iron, but they had feet mixed with clay and iron. You remember speaking of their weakness within? But that is likened to a kingdom that will come in the future that we have never seen before. So it's kind of like a dual prophecy, and that is exactly John's day talking to the recipients of this letter were dealing with their own beast, the Roman Empire. So this would have made sense to them in that way uh, pictorially, but guess what? We're talking about a beast even in our future very near coming, a beast that will rule and reign like no one has ever before. Now remember we talked about the ten heads. And, or I'm sorry, the seven heads, but ten crowns. Well, how can that be? It just told us in our text. He's going to immediately, when he comes to power, he'll take the power of three. He will take the power of three kingdoms, and then he will rise, and he'll rise out of nowhere. It's like uh, people will be like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? It's been likened to, like, Barack Obama, some senator that, who is this guy? I remember that. I'm like, Barack who? Like, we have a guy. Barack Obama, who who is this guy? And that's how it was. He kind of rose to power out of nowhere. Not saying that obviously he's the Antichrist, but it's like that. Who is this guy who can just speak these words? He talked and he spoke and gave a speech at the Democratic uh, Convention, and people were amazed. They're like, who is this guy? Oh, wow, we want him. And guess what? 
he became president. Out of nowhere, who was this guy? He was an orator, and he had a charisma about him and a, a youthful bounce in his step. You know that's how it's going to be with the Antichrist? He's going to come to power so fast, and he will have such eloquence, and he will be so smart, and he will have such a way about him that the people will just fall in love with him. They will be like all over the – they'll be, who, who is th – this guy's got it. How do we know that? How do we know he'll have charisma? How do we know that he'll be such a, a, a figure that will be one that just moves people? Because what he'll be able to do in Israel and in the Middle East. For decades and decades and decades, we've had president after president after prime minister after leader after to, to try to fix the issues and fix the problems in the Middle East. Peace treaty after peace treaty after peace treaty. Israel trades land for peace, and that lasts for a minute, but the next thing you know, they're getting pictures on the south lawn of the White House with a president, our president, in between Israel and some other country, and it's like, oh, peace, but it never lasts. And this happens all the time. It's always an issue. It's always a problem. The Jews want to rebuild their temple, but they can't because the Dome of the Rock Mosque is in the way, and, and just all of these things. The Antichrist will fix that like that. He'll come about and say, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we just do this? And it'll work. And they'll be like, why didn't we think of that? And we're sitting here going, why haven't you thought of that? There's just a demonic force in the world that's just not allowed to play out yet. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is keeping that restrained. God's allowing that to be restrained right now for a certain time. But once these wheels go into motion, it's going to happen very rapidly. He's going to come on the scene, and the people will love him. He'll speak pompous words. The worst part about this guy is the second half of that seven-year peace treaty, the second three and a half years. The first three and a half, or that's when everyone falls in love with him. It's going to be the second three and a half that will be the most uh, terrible of his reign. He shall persecute the saints in verse 25. A lot of people say, oh, see, he's going to persecute the saints. So that proves right there the church is going to be in the tribulation. Don't forget, the saints, there's three different types of saints listed in the Bible, three different groups. If you're talking about saints in the Old Testament, we're talking about Israel. If you're talking about saints in the New Testament, you're talking about the church, you and me. But in this regard, if you're talking about the saints during the tribulation, you're talking about those who get saved during the tribulation. And those are the ones that the Antichrist is going to go after and want to destroy because they won't bow down to him. And it says there, and he shall intend to change times and law. What does that mean? Cancel culture. That's exactly, and we're seeing it now. We're living in a cancel culture world. Our history is literally being erased. We saw it during the pandemic, during the riots, tear down these statues, burn these books. Our history literally being destroyed and defaced before our eyes. What we used to render as such good, rich history is now racist. There's a movement to erase our culture, and it's not just us. It's globally. There's, there's something going on. There's younger generations. They want to see something new. 
and they want newness to rush in. And we're starting to see and feel the momentum of that spirit welling up. We're all seeing it. We're noticing it. And that's exactly what tools do. They change cultures, times, laws. Old history, that's old, in with the new. Here are my ideas. And you know what? Where's he going to get these ideas? Go back to our text. And it says there in the end of verse 2, the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. He will literally be, Satan will literally indwell this man. When this man shows up, he's not going to have a name tag that says Antichrist. Okay? He's going to, whoever this man will be, he will rise out of a, a, a European leadership role. He will set up his rule in Rome, in this reestablished Roman Empire. Doesn't mean he has to, it, it, he could be actually Jewish, believe it or not. I've heard some commentators say that. He could be a European Jew. It just means that he won't come out. He'll come out of the nations of the Gentiles, meaning Europe. And he'll come to power very quickly. He will be one who can speak amazing words, have great ideas, plans. The people will fall in love with him. But his thoughts will literally be engineered by Satan himself. Does anyone remember the last person that Satan entered? Probably. <laughs> I'm thinking more like Judas. You know, quite literally. And Jesus said, do what you need to do. Paraphrase, of course. He will indwell this, this man. And every thought that the Antichrist has will come to fruition, but it will be engineered by Satan himself. Verse 3, and I saw one of the heads as if it would, had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. An amazing thing happens. There's a, an assassination attempt on this guy. What? How? Uh, why? Uh, who? Who would dare? Because look what it says later. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? This makes me think and wonder who on earth would have the guts to try an assassination attempt. If everyone's looking, saying, who, who could compete? Who could go against the beast? Who could go against this man? He, he's, he far outthinks all of the world leaders. He's 10 steps ahead of the smartest guys in the room. I mean, who would do this? Someone tries. And I don't know who, but I would love to know. That fascinates me. Could it be someone in his close circles? You'd have to be close. Because if you read in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17, it appears that he is injured with a sword. A sword that actually pops out his right eye and actually makes his right arm go paralyzed. So if that's the case, if it, if it is a sword, which that could either be a literal sword or metaphorically, I'm going to take it at face value and say it probably is a sword. If that's the case, got to be someone close, someone in his near inner circle, perhaps one of these guys that he gets the power from and outwits and deceives and gets their power. Perhaps they don't like that. I don't know. My brain goes crazy. 
but it's interesting to me. Who can go against the beast? Well, someone does. Tries anyway. But they're, it's healed. And when it is healed, this mortal wound that would kill an average normal person, this gets healed. He survives, and they go, oh, whoa. We can't even kill this guy. That, that would have killed anyone. Not him. No, there's things that still need to be carried out. So they worship the beast. Now, verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to, to make war with the saints. We talked about who that is. And to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So great power he has get, was given. And this is literally given to him by the dragon or by Satan. And Satan is able to indwell in this, this guy, this man. And he's a man. He is a man. And he will deceive many. And he'll rise to power. Great, great power he will have. Verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Wow. All who dwell on the earth, earth dwellers, meaning non-Christians, they'll worship him. They will love him. And you know what? It's funny because isn't that what Satan always wanted? He finally gets what he wanted. He's always wanted to get. We talked about this. Remember when he was Lucifer in heaven, worship leader in heaven for eons. That's what he did. He, he led worship to God. But one day iniquity filled his heart, we're told. And he made a sacrifice. I will rise. I, I. Remember, it was all about me. Well, how come I'm not getting some of this praise? How come I'm not? Look at me. I'm beautiful. But you were created, and iniquity entered his heart. He wanted to be worshipped. And what did he tell Jesus when he took him up to the, to the mountain? All of these nations and all of these kingdoms can be yours if you just what? Yeah. It's something he's always wanted. And finally, indwelling this man and the things that he's able to do rise to power, and people will be enamored. They will be blown away. They'll be deceived. They will see him as this great leader fixing problems, finally fixing that problem of the Middle East. Ugh, it's been a thorn in our side all these decades. And just look at this guy, he, the way he talks, the way he walks, the way he dresses. He leads, and he's just got great ideas. They'll worship him, and Satan will eat it up, finally getting what he, what he wants. And if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. And he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience from the faith of the saints. Then, watch this, I saw another beast coming up. Now we've talked about the dragon, Satan. We've talked about the Antichrist. Now we're going to see the Antichrist's little protege or the guy who kind of goes out and is his uh, stirs up 
attention for the Antichrist. And that's what we're seeing here. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. I don't know what a dragon sounds like, but John apparently heard it and goes, wow, that sounds like a dragon. This, this one who rises up, he has two horns. He kind of looks like a lamb, but he's not. Speaks like a dragon, verse 12. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in the presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. The Antichrist will come and he will also set up or have set up an economic uh, power that he will have control over people. And we're going to talk a few, uh, if we have time, we do. We're going to talk about that a little bit with some of the things I brought with me. But the false prophet, that's who we're talking about now, he will go before and he will direct people to worship the first beast, meaning the Antichrist. He will be the religious leader. So you got Antichrist who will be a political leader. You have the false prophet who will be a religious leader, and he will, uh, he will encourage people to worship the beast or worship the Antichrist. He performs great signs, verse 13, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He can perform these signs. So he would have to be somewhat of an orator as well. Oh, he can't match the Antichrist. Uh, not even close. But he, of course, can uh, direct all of that worship and funnel it to the Antichrist. And if there's any doubt out there, oh, yeah, fire will come down. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Whoa, whoa, I believe you. Wow, okay. He can just call down fire from hell. He can do great signs and wonders. And he'll convince people, okay, wow, we're not messing around. Uh, they, those guys mean business. Wow. And worship will go to the Antichrist. All these great signs of before men. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. What is it with these images? Why is it that we have to, there's something indwelling in, in mankind and in sinful nature and, you know, that an image has to be erected. It's because we got to see something and go to it and worship it and bow down to it. And Satan knows that. And so an image will be erected, literally, quite literally, in the temple. And that's when we're talking about the son of perdition. That's when we're talking about the temple being desecrated. Uh, Antichrist will come in. He will desecrate the temple by demanding to be worshipped. And it appears that it's going to be with this image of what we don't know exactly. And that's when the Jews' eyes are opened. And they see him for who he actually is, and they're they're to, to run, to flee. Remember, we talked about that. They're to don't even if you're on the roof, don't even go inside for all your things. Take off. May you not be pregnant during this trip. Hopefully, it's not the Sabbath. Hopefully, it's not in winter. 
just go, run, and flee because bad things are coming your way. Now this image, in verse 15, and he was granted power to give breath to the image. Interesting. The image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. There's also another familiar story that you might be thinking about too, all the way back in Daniel. Our friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they say, well, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to worship. We worship uh, our God, the God of Abraham. And you know what? You throw us in the fire, but, you know, God will deliver us. But, yeah, go, go ahead. And they came out not even singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. The furnace was heated up so hot that the guys that opened it up, those soldiers, were instantly incinerated just from the heat coming out when they opened the door. And then they threw these guys in, and they just walked around in there. And there was another one in there with them as the king looked in like the son of God. Ooh, right? God was in there with them, chilling. It's a little warm, but it's not bad. They opened the door, and guess what? They the king was like excited. Oh my gosh, you guys survived. He was excited that they survived. They made it. <laughs> Relieved even. And wow, your God is powerful. Almighty God. They didn't bow down. They stood strong. And that's what's going to take. That's what it's going to take for the believers in the tribulation is to stand strong all the way to the end. Because listen, the temptation to to fall in line with this economic, political, religious power that will come on the scene someday, well, the, the temptation to give in to that is going to be overwhelming. Overwhelming. And people are going to just, they're going to gladly worship. They're going to get in line. They want to go see and meet them. The people of this earth, meaning the dwellers of this earth, those who aren't saved. Oh, they'll jump in line, no problem. It's the tribulation saints that know the truth that get saved, and now they got a problem. Oh, boy. I don't want to go worship that. I don't want to do this. I don't want to fall before this beast and worship him. But it's interesting to me how this image, it seems like it's given life. It's given breath. Kind of interesting. I have a couple of things here. You know, um, our computers, our watches, your phones, everything takes a computer chip. And what they're what they're discovering is that, man, no matter how powerful these phones get and computers and technology and all that, um, the silicon computer chip has limitations. You can only make it so small, and you can only stuff so many, you know gigabytes, let's say. I don't know. I'm not a tech guy, but you can only put so much power in that little thing. And then when it does, it's got issues too because uh, the more powerful these computers get, uh, they get hotter. And so how do you keep all this stuff cool? Have you ever noticed that? You're on your phone, your iPhone gets hot. What is that? It's all those microchips in there just going to town working. So they've got a problem, but they might have a solution. 
Uh, this is Forbes article, September 16, 2019. DNA microprocessors. While silicon microprocessors have so far been at the heart of the computing world, they are researching their, or excuse me, they're reaching their physical limit. With ongoing challenges of physical speed, energy efficiency, and miniaturization limitations of silicon, uh, silicon microprocessors, there is a need to find alternatives. DNA is emerging as the alternative and has the potential to take computing to new levels. Moreover, with the cheap supply of DNA and the evolving DNA manufacturing processes, the process to develop DNA chips is becoming much cleaner and more realistic. What does that mean? It means that they're looking to start replacing chips with silicone, start replacing that with living tissue, living DNA. Our bodies are incredible. Our bodies were created by God. So, of course, they're incredible. And what scientists are realizing is that, whoa, we can only go so far with this little piece of plastic. But if we start looking at sequences like DNA and live tissue and start trying to incorporate technology into that, oh, man, the power could be exponential. Watch this. This one caught my eye, too. Along those lines, what's called cytoskeletons are very small, and so they consume little power, making them more efficient than traditional silicon chips. They can also be built into 3D structures. I thought that was interesting. So this image, I mean, can you imagine? We're right on the threshold of this technology, and if and they're, they're already working on this stuff. Could you imagine if it gives breath and life to this image? What if it has some sort of like this living tissue DNA computer chip technology that now it's 3D? My mind goes crazy. I kind of wonder what was it? What would this image look like? It can be built into a 3D structure, unlike the silicon counterparts, which must be laid flat. And that is from the Daily Mail Online, October 23rd, 2018. Informationage.com. Uh, standard electronic computers are extremely powerful, performing a high number of operations at high speeds, but they take a lot of energy and space. Not only that, but they're increasingly costly to make. In other words, it goes on to say here, eventually we will have to find realistic alternatives to current limited silicon technology. The idea is this, that we're limited in what we have right now. We can only go so far. They're already looking at the next level. So could it be that this false prophet erects this image, gives it life, gives it breath, its ability to speak, it would seem so real that the people would then again matched with his ability to call fire down from he heaven and, and do these miracles and these signs that the people are just like, wow. They're already going to be blinded, but can you kind of see where it's going? It's amazing stuff that they're already working on. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. I teach from the New King James Version. 
Guess what the King James Version says? It, it says, in their right hand and in their forehead. Isn't that interesting? You think, okay, that's interesting. That's the reason why I think that's interesting. We already know about this. See that little x-ray there? See the little chip in there? You guys have known this has been around for a while. These little computer chips that are implanted it's a com into uh, a human. We've been implanting them in pets forever. If Fido runs away and someone catches it and takes it to the vet, they can scan it. Boop. Oh, yeah, this belongs to so-and-so, this address. Well, that technology, the first m person who ever got one of these microchips implanted in them back in 1998, almost 25 years ago, imagine where they've come now. Now people have these chips put in to their hand, and it unlocks doors. It can unlock computer programs. It can actually unlock apps on phones. And, you know, even though they say that it can't be traced by GPS yet, I do find it interesting that, where did it go? There is no reason why these chips cannot be programmed to track your every move once they are implanted. That's coming. They'll be able to track people. So will it be in or on? It depends on the version, but whatever it is, it's either going to be on the right hand or it's going to be on or in the forehead. Why there? Because those areas of the body are easily accessible. They're usually uncovered. Well, I have gloves on. I drive. Take those off. Why well, wear a beanie? Okay. But the point is very accessible, easy to get to, right? So will it be a computer chip? Will it be one of these? Will it be a digital tattoo? Whatever it will be, it's one of those things where he will say, check this out. He causes all all means all. Small, great, rich, poor, free, slave, doesn't matter to receive this mark. You have to have it. You want to eat? You want to go to Burger King? Guess what? They're not going to serve you unless you have this. It's going to be tied to an economic system that the Antichrist will have in place. What do you mean? Well, do you know that cash is going away? Coins are going away? And when did we hear that? Probably a while back, but when did it really kind of ring home? Yes, during the pandemic. And I remember hearing that going, what? What are you talking about? They, banks were like, yeah, you know, we, we are doing away with cash. Cash became this thing that, oh, it, it's dirty. You know, cash is dirty. It's dirty. If we, it, let's hypothetically, if we collected like all of your cash tonight, right now, in fact, that's a good idea. Guys, come on up, get the baskets. We'll, uh, joking. It's a tithe joke. We're not going to do that. Hypothetically, if we took all of your cash, guess what, and we swiped it with those fabric uh, linen cloths that they have to detect particulate. You see them in the airports. When you go, uh, the TSA guys, they'll be swiping your luggage with that thing, and then they put it into a scanner, and it reads particulate for narcotics, illegal narcotics, cocaine, heroin, all that, fentanyl probably. And so it can tell. But, you know, if we swipe all of your cash, guess what? You'd be amazed at the cash in your wallet. 
the, uh, the particulate of illegal narcotics that are on your cash in your wallet right now? You'd be amazed. It's probably in my wallet right now if we swiped it. Why? Because cash is dirty. Cash can be used for drug trading. You know, do drug dealers write checks? Do they pay on PayPal? No, they use cash, right? And that's a problem. That's a problem for safety and security for the ins for you know the the government and for us. But it's dirty, right? If party A has party B mow their lawn and party A pays party B with cash, that's a done deal. That's a transaction that just took place that's private. And the government's mad about that. Because why are they mostly mad? They can't tax it. So that's number one reason why they're mad. The next reason why they're mad is because they can't trace it. Another reason why they're mad is because they can't block it. What do you mean? There's coming a day where they're going to be able to block your transaction. That's what they're working towards right now. Uh, just a quick little thing here. And we're going to end on this one. Understanding central bank digital currencies, or CB, CBDCs, you're going to hear more about this. Physical currency is still widely exchanged and accepted. However, some developed countries have experienced a significant decrease in its use, and that trend accelerated during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thus, governments and central banks worldwide are exploring the possibility of using government-backed digital currencies, or CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. 80 other countries are already working on this. 80, 80. The United States is investigating CBDCs to improve the domestic payment system, increase efficiency, reduce costs, so that all sounds good. So lawmakers are like, oh, okay, those are all good things. But there's a huge downside. And in March 2022, President Biden directed federal agencies to evaluate the infrastructure that would be needed to issue a U.S. CBDC. So they're working on this right now. A vote, a bill just went to vote in South Dakota this last week on passing CBDC. It's Bill 1193 or something. You guys can research this. In fact, Christy Nome, the governor, was asked, hey, what are you going to do about this? She goes, I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, if it gets passed or if it doesn't get passed, th the people that are pushing the bill say, oh, that's okay. We still got 49 other states that we'll try it in. A scary Fed idea to turn your dollar into a digital power grab. I'll read a couple of things and then we'll close. The digital dollar being advocated by members of the Treasury and Federal Reserves is an example of a central bank digital currency. Um, it's talking about we're kind of already there. You know, we have debit cards. Uh, you know, we pay pal on our phones, Facebook pay. In a way, we're kind of already there. In fact, I almost never have cash on me. I have a debit card. So it's kind of like it's all electronic. We're kind of almost already there. But even getting direct deposit from your employer, that's still cash. You can go out and get cash. But those dollars are inherently fungible. It's irrelevant if you accept or pay with any particular dollar. We're talking about that AB uh, event. 
but CBDCs are different. They're programmable, traceable, trackable, and taxable. CBDCs are entirely under bureaucratic control because every digital dollar has a unique fingerprint. Literally, all transactions can be surveilled, recorded, or even reversed by a bureaucrat's push of a button. Not only can the government tell how much you're spending or saving, but when you're spending, or excuse me, what you're spending those dollars on and where you're parking your savings. CBDCs can be embarked for certain purchases and forbidden for others. I can buy some things, but I can't buy that. The government can easily dictate which dollars of your income go to buying food and what kind of food. For instance, that's particularly alarming if an, you're living in an era of elites that talk about climate change, push for people to eat less beef and eat more bugs. Heard about that one? You will eat your bugs and be happy. Imagine the government creating dollars that can only be used for food, thereby dictating to you how much of your income can be spent that way. This is basically what happens with food stamps, which can only be used at certain establishments and for certain commodities. With a CBDC, the central bank – now, remember, I like this because it's central bank, meaning 80 other countries are working on this. We haven't gone full yet, but we're looking into it. We will. And it's starting to go global. This is a system that is coming into fruition as we speak. With a central bank can also uh, effectively force spending and prevent saving by imposing maximum saving levels and preventing hoarding. By confiscating unspent digital dollars, people with no savings are more reliant on the government in emergencies. If you're unable to save on a rainy day, you're at the whim of a bureaucrat holding the purse strings of your life. You can't save too much. You go to bed one night, oh, cool, I got 10,000 digitals, whatever we're going to call them. Wake up the next morning, huh, 5,000. <laughs> what happened? Oh, you were hoarding. <laughs> you don't need 10,000. Five's fine for you. No, Johnny down the road, he needed some, so we took them. Conversely, some dollars may not work at certain businesses, like a gas station. If government wants to discourage the product or service, goals which bureaucrats try to achieve through ma uh, manipulation of the tax code, like subsidizing solar panels or taxing oil, will easily be forced on the public with a CBDC. Finally, another scary proposition. Since bureaucrats could turn down people for loans based upon things other than their likelihood of repaying, that's how it is now or has been. Uh, can you really repay this? Mm, no? All right, we're going to deny you. It's not about that anymore. Oh, yeah, I can repay. Yeah, but are you woke enough? Then no mortgage for you. The CBDC makes such dystopian scenarios possible and perhaps inevitable. What does a CBDC represent in a word? Control. Perhaps that's why the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and President <laughs> Joe Biden are so supportive of the idea. A digital dollar will give them future administrators or future administrations a level of power so unprecedented that Orwell could never have envisioned it. Crazy. You're not woke enough, so you don't get a mortgage. Oh, you thought you had 10,000 digital dollars. No, you got five now. They can tax it, trace it, block it, 
a gun I bought five years ago, now I gotta buy replacement parts? Nope, your dollars don't buy replacement parts for that. They don't have to spend years trying to pass laws anymore. They just overnight make that an off, mo uh, an off motion. But did you hear that? It's all about control. And that's what I'm talking about. This is why it's so exciting to me. Why? Because I used to think the Antichrist, we've, we've taught this and we used to think that, oh, the Antichrist, he's going to come and he's going to establish all of this. It's already being established. These are articles of present day. These things are happening. It's basically already in the works. When he comes on the scene, it'll be like, cool, I can just take over and take control. And he will. And these things right here, this centralized banking system, seems like that's going to make a lot of sense. Finally, we'll close. Verse 17, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six. And you don't have to be a Christian to know what that means. Lots of people have heard of 666. Yeah, you say that and people in immediately know who, what you're talking about and who you're talking about. But it's a number of a man, six. See, seven's reserved for God because that's the number of perfection or completion. That's God's number. Man didn't quite make it. And we're at the six. Why three sixes? Because of that evil trinity. Remember we talked about that diabolic trinity. Satan. Antichrist, false prophet, crazy stuff, but exciting and encouraging. Why? Because you and I won't be here. <laughs> That's the best part. Sad for those who will be. We're praying that those who don't know the Lord come to him quickly because we're almost out of here and we want them with us so they don't have to go through these things. Amen. Hope it's exciting for you as it is for me. We'll close in prayer and have them come up and lead us in a song. Father, again, these things are here. Lord, I know I went long, but Father, these are things that we have to know about. We have to be aware. We have to know what's going on around us. And Father, um, these things are being established literally right before our eyes. These systems and uh, digital dollars and, and these DNA microchips. Mankind is working on a way to unite and come together. It's that Babel mentality of let us, let us. And Father, you are I am. And we worship you. And the good news is this, is we're not looking for Antichrist. We're looking for the Christ. That's you. That's who our focus is on and that's who we're waiting for. You are who we're looking for. And so Lord... As we've covered these areas in scripture, I pray that tonight we'd just be encouraged knowing that, Lord, you're on your way. You're coming back for us. Reading about these things online and these things that are in, in motion, all that does is encourage us because it shows us just how close these times are. John says that we're in the very last hour, and that was almost 2,000 years ago. Lord, what that tells us is we're in the very last seconds, and that is encouraging, and we're excited, and we thank you for that, Lord. Holy Spirit, move in a mighty way. Lord, as we lift up this last song to you, be glorified, we pray.
bless us as we go home tonight. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.